Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Welcome everybody. It's really great to see all your faces. And uh, welcome also to those who are joining us from home or wherever you might be today. My computer's talking to me but I've silenced it. Okay, well, we um, so great, like I said, to hear all the testimonies of things that happened last week. Uh, but you know, one of the things that the Bible says in the parable of the sower is that um, it has to go in. And it can be so inspired and anointed and faith-filled, but unless it actually goes in and penetrates our hearts, then the ability is for it to be snatched away. Or unless it's fertilised and nurtured, then that thing can actually just stay surface and not take any deep root. Or in fact, it can. what can happen is that just our well-worn paths of everyday life uh, can take over and, and just choke that thing out. So we need to, and we've been praying this week really intentionally, that what went on in the You Revolution series would go in deep. So I want to encourage you even just to go back and listen to those messages again and to let them um, go into your heart. Maybe go back if you missed the reading plan, go back on the blog on the app and just get back into that and make sure you get the most out of it. When Pastor Daz was preaching last week, uh, he talked about that um, the new, a word that just grabbed me, that just shot into my heart was the word new, new. And I began to think about this this week and, uh, and the scripture that he read out was um, that behold, all old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I was thinking about how the word new contains all these possibilities, all these opportunities, all this potential. Uh, But actually, as people who live in a capitalist society, that we respond to the word new with some degree of scepticism. That actually we're like, oh, new and improved. Oh, great, new and improved again. I know that you're just trying to get a dollar from me. I know that that's what's going on here. In fact, um, Katie, our uh, third born, um, she was saying, Mum, can I buy this series on a DVD? I'm like, DVD? Do they even still exist? And she said, yeah, I really want to, I really want to buy this um, set, Mum. And I was like, Belle, oh, what's your name? Kate, Kate, don't you have, um, probably literally what happened, Kate, don't you have, a, don't, isn't it on Disney Plus? And she said, no, Mum, it's not out on Disney Plus. I said, well, isn't it out on Netflix? Mum, it's not out on Netflix. I said, well, isn't it on Stan? She said, no, it's not on Stan. And as I said, isn't it on Amazon Prime? I began to wonder how much we're paying to just watch TV. And she said, no, Mum, we can buy it on Apple, but it's cheaper to buy the DVDs. And so while I was pondering whether or not to hand over the whole management of our household finance to Kate, um, I said to her, well, okay, if that's what you want to do, we we can do that. She said, well, I want to take it over to my friend's house. I said, yes, okay, but Kate, do we have a DVD player? And fortunately we do. It was called the PS4. And as I began to learn how to navigate the PS4, because what I've realised is that you can't be good at everything. And one of my everythings is stupid, mindless video games that have no point. So I've never needed to turn on the PS4 before, was that as I turned on the PS4, every single time it comes up, new update. Like every day, new update. I'm like, really PS4? Is there something new every single day? And all the gamers in the house of God said, yes, Brian, there is. Um, And I don't care. So, um, but I responded to the new updated, awesome version every time I turned on the PS4 with scepticism. And I think that somehow we often respond to the new with some degree of scepticism. Now, scepticism has been around for a long time. When radios came into cars, people responded saying, that'll never work. People will not listen to the radio in their cars. When Walkmans came out, anyone remember what a Walkman is? 
I mean, we were cool. And, uh, and they said they'll never take off. They said that telephones would never take off. They said that ice cubes would never take off. They said the printing press would never take off. And uh, here's one I was particularly taken with this week was they said that the mobile phone would never take off. And a man called John David Dubon in 1981 said, who today will say, I'm going to ditch the wires in my house and carry the phone around? Skepticism responding to the new. And even Marty Cooper around the same era, who we have, here he is, he created the first cell phone. He said, this is what he said, he said, cellular phones will absolutely not replace local wire systems. Even if you project it beyond our lifetime, it won't be cheap enough. Well, good one, Marty. I hope you got some money from your amazing invention and not for your um, punt there. Even when Daz was talking about last week that he went to the front of a church service to respond to the call of the gospel and that Tony Casada stood with him, prayed for him and said, Daz, you will never be the same. That his response was one of cynicism. He said, yes, well, we'll see. And how we often respond with cynicism and scepticism because we're conditioned in our world for cynicism and scepticism. One of the things I've often said when I've given the salvation appeal to people to say, do you want to follow Jesus? I've said, you'll never regret it. You will never regret this. And that's a big claim. That's a big claim. And I wonder if when you've heard that, you've thought, really, can you claim that, Bron? Uh, Well, I think I still can because just because um, you give your life to Jesus doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything turns into being awesome because Jesus is God, not a fairy. Um, But he um, actually that, yes, it can be a statement and that is true. It can be a claim that is true. Jesus made such statements when he said to the woman at the well, if you come and drink from the living water, you'll never be thirsty again. And she thought to herself, well, that's a weird flex, but but Jesus, um, would that save me coming to the the well, like she responded with scepticism, like, do I have to, can I stop this daily trip to the well if you will give me this living water? In John chapter 3, another man was asking this question of Jesus. I'm just going to read it. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. I think Nicodemus must have had a very logical brain. And he responded to this claim, this big claim of the new with cynicism. And he must have been very visual too, because he was like, how can an old man go back into... the womb of his mother and Jesus goes on to explain to him that it's possible through believing and that it's that it's possible that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life that the son of man came into the world not to condemn the world but to save it through him and so today I'd love us to ponder on this idea of the fresh and the new this idea of kainos kainos is the Greek word that means unlike anything that's ever gone before it the fresh the new, 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that You would give us a revelation of this new, this fresh, the life that we have, the life that we're living. Lord God, You are the same yesterday, today and forever, Lord Jesus. But You are always doing something fresh and something new in us. You have made us new, those of us who believe in You. You wanna make new those who have not yet put their trust in You and You're doing something new and fresh in our lives. I pray this morning that we would be able to grab a hold of that in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. I love that word in the King James. We had to go to the King James for it because it's not very used very often. Behold, behold, all things are become new. Behold, take a look. Come on, take a good look and you'll notice in your life that all things have become new. So today, as we look at the new, we're going to look at the perception, the pain, the position and the power of the new. Behold, all things have become new. This word behold says to to regard something impressive or remarkable, something or someone, to have a look. And if we look at ourselves and go, behold, we could go nothing remarkable or impressive, unless, you know, maybe you're someone who's like, yeah, totally remarkable and impressive. But I would suggest that, yes, in and of ourselves, there's nothing remarkable and impressive. But in Christ, which we are now, behold, all things become new. The remarkable and impressive is Him, and we are just us. Engage with what follows. Behold, Isaiah 43 19 speaks similarly. See, I am doing a new thing. A new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. From the message, be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. I just like that it says Badlands. So cool in the Bible. Yes, Um, Badlands. Okay, so number one, perception. You might know some perceptive people. Maybe you know someone who's very perceptive in business. They've just got that business acumen. Maybe you know someone who's perceptive in creativity. They just can come up with these creative ideas and just alter something uniquely and all of a sudden it's this brand new thing. Maybe, maybe perceptive with people. They can just pick up on other people's thoughts and emotions. Maybe logically perceptive where they follow a hypothesis through to its natural and outworked end. Perceptive. These are natural perceptions. But what God's talking about here is perceiving the fullness of the new that He wants to do inside of us. Do you not, Isaiah says, do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? Perception. You see, when Jesus was talking to the disciples in uh, the New Testament, He often says to them, guys, can you, can you hear what, what's going on? Can you see what's going on? He referred to them often as blind and also to the Pharisees. He's like, Pharisees, you're just blind. You're not seeing the truth of what's going on here. And the disciples, they were so wrapped up in themselves and in their own ambitions and everything like that, that they couldn't perceive what was going on. And the Pharisees, they were so comfortable in the old and the system that they couldn't perceive the new that was going on. But we are called to perceive, to have a perception about the new. If we wanna inhabit the new that God has given to us, then we have to have the perception. And Ephesians 1, Paul's writing to the Ephesian church. He says this, Ephesians 1 verse 13. It says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, 
you are marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is His prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Paul, you, just, you can't read Paul without Paul just some way, like in somehow just segueing off into talking about Jesus for an extended period of time. He just gets distracted. Oh, while I'm on Jesus, I just love Him and He's awesome and He's powerful. He just goes off on a little tangent all the time. But you see there, he's saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you can know the truth to which you've been called, so that you can understand. He wants us to perceive it. He's praying that we would perceive it. And so for us here this morning, as it relates to the new, do we have eyes to perceive it? Can you see it? Can you grab hold of it? Or are you just going through the motions day by day in the life that you've been called to? Can you perceive it? In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, there's a group of people referred to the sons of Issachar. And it says that they understood the times and the seasons and what Israel needed to be doing at that time. It talks about how the sons of Issachar, that they actually um, went and fought with Deborah in Judges chapter 5. It talks about how they recognised who King David was before King David was even king. Because they understood the times and the seasons. They had a perception in Revelations chapter 2, when it's a letter's being written to the churches, he says, Let him have eyes to see, let them have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We have to perceive it. We have to be able to perceive what God is doing. Number two is pain. <laughs> pain is necessary. For anything to be truly new, there's a degree of pain involved. The reason is that we get used to and comfortable in the old. We just settle into what we know and we get super comfortable in that. Maybe that's a reason that you never took that step to follow Jesus because you recognise that to leave your old behind was going to take some pain. Maybe you did make that decision to follow Jesus, but you never quite followed through on it because it started to feel a little bit of pain and, and, and you didn't like that. Maybe even the person that stood up the front, you you didn't feel like they were honest with you when they led you through the salvation prayer. They said something like, your life is gonna be changed forever. Your life is never gonna be the same. It's gonna be so great. And you, the way that you heard that and perceived that was different to what your reality was. And so the pain was too great for you to follow through and for you to go on with that. Maybe that brand new life was too painful. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for 50 years And there's something new that you know He's calling you into. But the pain of stepping into that new thing, the cost of stepping into that new thing, just feels a little bit too much. 
Jesus is asked about fasting in Matthew chapter 9 and He says this. He doesn't talk about, He speaks more to who He is and what He's ushering in, the new that He's ushering in. And He says this, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skin will burst, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. So picture this, you've got a garment and it's got a graping big hole in it where you hooked yourself on the way out the door and okay, I'm going to mend this, said no one ever because you bought it from Kmart and it was cheap and you just chucked it. But the principle remains, well, you're like me and you can't sew, so you just chucked it. But regardless, you thought I'm going to mend this. And so you got a new bit of cloth, but, but you know, the other garment had been washed in Tamworth, which even on the cold cycle in summer is like 50 degrees. So it's shrunk down and you've gotten the new bit of cloth and you've put it on there and it hasn't yet. So you match it all up nice and I'm a, not a sewer, but, but I'm trying to describe what I think happens. And so you match it all up really nicely, sew it all together. It's beautiful. You put it in the cold cycle in Tamworth on a summer's day, which is 50 degree water and... Then what happens? The, the new bit shrinks away. And so all the neat little stitches that you've done are now pulling on that old garment and that's how it feels for us. The new pulls on the old and it feels uncomfortable and it feels a degree of pain. And you know, we maybe don't even get wineskins that much either. If you were not a sewer, you didn't relate so much to the garment, but the wineskins thing either... You know, we've got glass bottles now, but, but then they had skins. And so I went and slaughtered a goat yesterday. Um, I'll just get it out. No, no, I didn't, obviously. Um, but uh, the skins, you know, on the farm when we used to walk around, there'd be sheep that had just died and, um, and they would smell revolting. But then the sheep that had been dead a long time and we were very, ably, able, very easily able just to grab their legs, <coughs> rip them apart, grab the knuckles to go and play jacks at home. Everything just disintegrated, all their skin and everything because it was old. And so this is what this is talking about here is that if it's an old wine skin, you put new wine into it, it swells, it bursts because it's all old and ratty and it disintegrates. And the new, the old can't contain the new and it's the same for your life and there's going to be pain. And so we have to be able to actually just remove ourselves from the old, to let go of the old. And that's pain as well. But if we try to get the old and the new to coexist, that is more pain. That's a, that's a shrinking and a rending. It's a swelling and a bursting. And instead, we're better just to let go of it and have that pain rather than this pain of trying to have them coexist. That won't work. It's mutually exclusive better to fall on the rock that is Jesus Christ and break than have the rock fall on you and be crushed underneath it. Better to willfully just say, Jesus, I surrender, I'm yours, than sort of surrender and feel like you're being crushed time after time. Pain is part of embracing the new. Perception, we have to perceive it. We have to go through the pain and then we have to walk in our position. We have to walk in our position. There's this great story in the Bible where Jesus, it says He knew who He was and He knew where He was from and He knew where He was going. So it says, He put on a servant's towel and He got down and started washing people's feet. He knew the authority that He carried. And to us in our Western capitalistic, ambitious and influencer driven society, this is such a random juxtaposition that you get authority that you finally know who you are. And so you start to serve. 
But that's exactly what Jesus does. He takes His authority, He takes His position and begins to serve. <laughs> it's not... It's not in our Western thinking. We're driven, we're ambitious, we're capitalistic. We, we, wanna, we wanna get more bucks. Does anyone say bucks anymore? Probably not. But anyway, he, he gets down and he washes people's feet and it says to do this, to show the full extent of his love. The other thing that Jesus did, he stood up at the start of his ministry. He unrolled the scroll that was to be read that day. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, rolled it back down, sat down, which was the stance of authority and said, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everyone was amazed because he taught like someone who had authority. Jesus knew the authority that he walked in and walked with. So he could preach these things. He could make these claims. He could serve people. And then he could turn around and say, you'll do greater things in my name. You and me will do greater things in my name, but only if we believe. He said, he said, these signs will follow those who believe. And the thing about the language here, it's these signs will follow those who believe that it will follow those who believe. It's, it's like a circular statement. And so we have to believe that they'll follow. It comes full circle. In order to walk on these greater things, we have to believe that we're walking in these greater things. We have to perceive it. We have to embrace the pain. We have to embrace the position. And then finally, the power. Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in order to walk in the new, we have to access the power that He promises us. We have to perceive it. We have to embrace the pain. We have to recognise the position and we have to access the power. A few years ago, um, my family and I were in Queenstown in New Zealand. I'd been blessed, a guy that um, we know not very well, but has just decided to bless us a bunch of times. He has a house in Queenstown and he's got a Prado that he leaves in Queenstown in the garage for when he goes over there on holidays. And he said to us, um, please stay there for a week. I don't want to charge you anything. Just pay for your flights and you can have full use of the car and the house. And that was awesome. And he said, anything in the house? He had all his snow gear in the house. And, uh, but we, at the time, we couldn't afford to go skiing. So we pretty much just rotated our three favourite food joints for the week, which was good because I was in Queenstown. So that was great. But because we weren't familiar with snow at that time, the kids and I, um, we'd discovered on a previous trip that Daz was fearful of heights. And so the kids and I drove up into the snow and, um, and the kids got out and, and, you know, we didn't have any gear, but they're just pretty much just playing next to the car park until they got soaking wet and freezing cold and frostbitten fingers. And then they got back in the car and we went to go back down. Well, I started the Prado and went to shift it into reverse and slid across the car park because obviously the car park had ice all over it. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe those chains that we've had higher down the bottom of the hill were a good idea after all. Oops. Um, and so I'm like, well, what do I do? I was so scared. I didn't want to move because I didn't know if I was just going to just slide straight into another car. And, you know, Daz is usually the person that takes charge of these situations. He was not there. And so I'm like, right, kids, um, somebody find the manual, the car manual. And uh, so someone found it. Um, fortunately, there was a section called driving in icy conditions. And, uh, and it, it said that there was a button that you could push that would give you traction in icy conditions. 
So push the button, stop sliding, drove down the hill. The button was there the whole time, but I had no idea how to access it. It was right there. I just had to push the button and then I was right and had everything that I needed to keep going. And that's us, church. That's you and I. We have access to everything we need to live this life. We've just got to access it. It's available to us. It's available to us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvellous glory and excellence. So this morning, just as we finish up, Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to come full circle. It says, In Him and through faith, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's our position. In Him and through faith, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be encouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. There's going to be pain in the midst of that. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's the power. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. We need to perceive the love of Christ in our lives and to know perception that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's who we are. That's our position in Christ. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is how we inhabit the new thing that God is doing. We have to perceive it. We have to have eyes to see it, not just looking at our failings all the time, but that God is able and God is good. We have to recognise that actually um, there's pain of letting go, but rather let go of the pain rather than just have it coexist and, and cause pain pain all the time, that we have a position in Him and that He has given us power to live this life. Will you stand to your feet this morning? Let's close our eyes this morning. Maybe you've thought, Bron, it's not that easy for me. I, I find it so hard trying to live for God. It's just not that easy for me. I want to encourage you this morning. He has given you everything you need to live this life of godliness. There is definitely a voice that would tell you you can't do it. You can't live up to it. You may as well quit now. But we can silence that voice in the name of Jesus and listen to His voice that says you have the power to live the life that He has called you to. And so I'm just going to pray. Before I pray, church, may you know depth, the height and the width of the love that He has for you. May you perceive it. May you perceive this new and beautiful thing that He's doing in your life. May you get a revelation of that. May you now just even just awaken to a perception of what that could be, that, that He wants to walk in, you to walk in something new. May you embrace the pain. 
And may you just throw yourself on the rock of Jesus Christ and allow yourself to break on the rock that is Jesus Christ. May you know your royal position in Him. You can stand tall, that you don't need to be weighed down, that you don't need to be under rather than above, that you stand tall in the midst of the circumstance. And may you even right now receive the power that He has promised each and every one of us. So Lord God, to that end we pray. We thank You, Holy Spirit, that You have given us power, that You've come to dwell in us, to empower us for a life of godliness. And Lord, I pray that we would just continually surrender to You, that we wouldn't feel a sense of failure when we get it wrong and, and, and stay down for days upon days, but we would instead boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy in our time of need, that we would remember that Your mercies are new every morning and You made it that way because You knew that we would need them. And so God, break through in the midst of our thought processes and in the midst of our distractions and help us to understand that we've been given power to live in the fresh and in the new in Jesus' Name. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.